welcome. As we settle down, I'd like to welcome everyone to our church service. And as Providence has it, this is where you're supposed to be today, to give praise and glory to our risen Savior. And this week, we'll celebrate one of those most sacred promises of Scripture. But for now, would you please take a moment and like to review a couple of the announcements in the life of our church. Please refer to the rear of your bulletin as well as the screen behind me. The next family ministry, and again, that's for classes fifth grade on, will meet this evening. Also, I'd ask you on Monday night at 7 o'clock, wherever you're at, take a moment to pray for those that are dealing with their own personal afflictions because we host Narcotics Anonymous here. And anybody that knows anything about that, that extended family is also affected. So pray, pray for those wherever you're at at 7 o'clock. And on Thursday is our Christmas Eve service. We'll have that starting at 7 o'clock also. Our next food bank, for those that don't know, we're one of 15 churches out here in this part of the county that try to take care of those that are less fortunate. Our next workday at that food bank is on January 6th, 1.30 to 3.30. If anyone's free, please let me know and we'll put you to work uh, that day. In the meantime, next time that you are at the supermarket, pick up an extra can of soup or uh, a can of uh, baked beans or a jar of peanut butter. Bring it to the church and we'll make sure those that are less fortunate, you know, has it. And for some of you that never have the chance, let me just tell you that those that receive those gifts are very thankful. So let me at least extend from those folks a heartfelt thank you for caring. Also, uh, our church annual business meeting, our pulte here is a congregation, congregational in style. And what that means is all decisions of the church is really by the membership. And in your box today, mailbox, as well as extra copies are on the information table, we have the budget that we are asking you to affirm for 2021, as well as some changes in our structure as far as leadership. And with that, as far as the leadership of the church, John Barrios, who has served three years, he'll be stepping down, and uh, Mike Doherty will be taking his place. And also the Scots, who took care of the fellowship ministry this year with everything with COVID that has been muted, they have asked to extend and to serve you for another year, which we are in affirmation that we would like you to affirm that decision. And then also there'll be a change in the, in the uh, elder board as I'll be stepping down. And let me also say from Jonathan and myself, it's been a pleasure serving you the last couple of years. And also, since we are in the season, today we'll celebrate communion. Our communion is one of open communion, which means if you're a believer and if you have made amends to your fellow man, we would ask you to celebrate this communion with us. If, however, your heart isn't right and there are things that you need to do to make it right with your fellow man, we would ask you to refrain and, more importantly, to seek out those that you are not in affirmation with to fix those wrongs. 
And we know in this time of season, this is a season also of forgiveness. So often we find it so hard just to say, I'm sorry. Or when you're wrong, you feel like you have a righteousness. In this season, please, I ask you, pray for them. Check your hearts and make things right with your fellow man. I think those are all the announcements, and why don't we stand for our call to worship. Pastor Sam will lead us. Good morning. Our call to worship today is from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let is found far as the curse is found 
And we have a few uh, prayer requests just to make you aware of that uh, actually uh, a couple of them came out yesterday, uh, but we were not able to get them out via email uh, due to some scheduling issues. Uh, but first of all, we want to uh, just praise God that Donna Fleming's surgery went well. It is great to have her back with us this morning, and just uh, we praise God for his hand of faithfulness upon her, and we want to continue to pray for her uh, as she recovers. Uh, also, we want to... Uh, pray for a couple of requests that have been forwarded to us from Linnell Schwarin. Uh, first of all, Bob, who's a friend of uh, her family's, has been diagnosed with uh, COVID and also pneumonia, and he's in the hospital right now. He's been in for four days, and so Linnell has, um, asked that we pray for uh, both his health and for his family and also just for his encouragement during this time. Uh, he obviously has a lot going on with, especially battling the pneumonia. They're really concerned to do all they can to try to clear his lungs. So please uh, pray for Bob. And uh, pray also for Linnell's aunt, who just uh, received uh, two diagnoses of cancer in the past week, uh, two separate uh, doctor's appointments that she had. And so, uh, as you can imagine, this is a very difficult time uh, for both she and her family. And so we want to pray for them that uh, this would be a time of drawing near to the Lord in faith as uh, they await to see how... Um, he will indeed answer their prayers. Uh, Dave Mueller asked that we pray for a friend of his, uh, Carl Ochterman, uh, who uh, fell yesterday on the ice and he broke his leg uh, so severely that he ended up having to have surgery. So uh, please be in prayer for Carl as well. Uh, also would ask that you uh, pray for uh, 
former classmates of uh, Angela and mine from college, uh, the Ladd family. Uh, Mike was uh, a hallmate of mine in the dorms. Uh, his wife, uh, Carrie Lynn, who was also a student, uh, passed away on Friday from uh, COVID-19. And uh, she would have been a couple of years younger than me. So uh, they, she leaves behind uh, two teenage daughters. And uh, they are just in shock because uh, she, uh, other than COVID, appeared to be very healthy person, very active. And so this is a, a challenge that they are facing as a family. And I know that uh, Mike would greatly appreciate our prayers as they walk this road together. Um, we do have a praise. We have uh, Christians back with us, uh, as you know. Uh, Christian has been uh, away for the past, well, I guess it's been over a year now, uh, serving in the Army. And we just uh, praise God for the chance for you to be home for Christmas, brother. And uh, it's great to see you. And glad you chose to worship with us this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, there are many things on our prayer list today, and uh, Lord, it is with uh, a sense of, of great dependence and expectation that we anticipate uh, uh, praying for these matters uh, now uh, and also, Lord, in the weeks to come. Uh, but Lord, first we want to stop and, and yet again just give you thanks for your uh, kindness and your grace in our lives. Uh, we thank you for the gift of your son who came and lived the perfect life that none of us could live, yet he chose to die in our place when he uh, gave his life on the cross, bearing your wrath, Father, against our sin, that we would be redeemed. Lord, we thank you that because of the faithfulness of Jesus, that we can gather together as your church. We can come before you boldly in prayer, uh, knowing that we have been redeemed. We have been set free uh, from the penalty of, uh, that, that our sins deserved and set free to, to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you. And that is our desire, O oh Lord. Uh, that through the work of your word and your spirit in our lives, that you would indeed strengthen us and, and equip us to, to live lives which reflect uh, the, the glory of the gospel that we have believed. Uh, Lord, uh, I thank you for each person that you have brought here this morning. And as we worship together, Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, that you would grant us a, a sensitivity to the work that your Spirit would do in our hearts and minds today as we sing truth, as we hear your word proclaimed, Lord, as our children go downstairs and next door for their instruction, Lord, we pray that in every aspect of this service, Lord, that you would be glorified and that you would be at work conforming your people to the image of your Son. Lord, we thank you for the great news of, of Donna's successful surgery, and uh, Lord, that she was able to come home that day, and you granted them safe passage in the storm. And uh, Lord, we pray for Donna and her continued healing. Uh, Lord, as she uh, goes through the, the rehab and everything that she needs to do in order to strengthen her wrist, Lord, we, we pray your hand would be upon her every step of the way, uh, bringing healing and growth in her life. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray this morning with, with, with a sense of deep concern for Bob, uh, the friend of, of Linnell's family, uh, as he uh, deals with uh, both COVID and also pneumonia. 
Lord, we pray that you would be at work in this situation. Lord, be at work physically in his body and, Lord, spiritually, Lord, in his heart and mind. Uh, Lord, that if he's a believer, that this would be a time of drawing near to you in faith and dependence. And, Lord, that you would use him as a light, uh, both in the in the lives of those that are caring for the, him in the, in the hospital, but also, Lord, uh, of his family as well, that this trial would be something that you redeem for their good and for your glory in their lives. Lord, we pray also for Linnell's aunt. as She is, is bearing a heavy burden along with her family this week with the, with, with the diagnoses of, of cancer. Lord, we pray that as they walk this road together, Lord, that they would experience your grace in amazing ways. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, if you would be willing, Lord, that you would grant uh, healing, uh, Lord, even supernaturally in her life, uh, that, that this would be a, a time of your name being glorified in the midst of their trial. Uh, Lord, we pray also for, uh, uh, for Carl, uh, Dave, and Joanne's friend, Lord, for his recovery following uh, both the fall and the surgery that he underwent yesterday. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would protect him from complications and that you would allow him to, uh, to get mobile again soon. And Lord, we pray this morning for the Ladd family. Um, uh, for those that knew uh, Carrie Lynn, Lord, we are all in shock. But we thank you, Lord, for the confidence of, of knowing that she knew you, that she sought to uh, to, to love and serve her husband in a, in a way that, that showed uh, her devotion to you, that she sought to see her children uh, come to know you and, and be saturated with biblical truth in their home. Lord, thank you for the joy that was so evident in her life. And Lord, we pray for Mike and, and for their children, Lord, during this time of grief, Lord, that it would be a time of experiencing your grace uh, Lord, I, I pray for those that are caring for them, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and grace as they remind them of uh, both uh, the, the great confidence that they can have in Carrie Lynn's destination. When her eyes closed in this life on Friday, they opened in heaven, and we thank you for that knowledge. And that is the destiny that awaits all your children. Greater things, graduation even, uh, from this life to something much, much greater. Uh, but Lord, for those who are, are left behind and, and await their time to see you face to face, Lord, there is pain. And so, Lord, we pray for your spirit's comfort upon the Ladd family. Uh, Lord, we thank you that Christian could be back with us uh, and home to celebrate uh, Christmas with family and friends. And we pray, Lord, uh, that you would continue to, to strengthen and protect him as he serves this nation and in the military. Lord, continue to grow him as, a, as your follower and, and be glorified in his life, we pray. Uh, Lord, I, again, just thank you so much for, for the opportunity that we have uh, both to, to worship together and, and to reflect uh, later through the Lord's Supper on your death and resurrection, O oh Lord. Uh, Lord, in all this, we pray that you'd be glorified. Lord, I, I would stop to, to pray this morning also for any unbelievers who may be present among us this morning. Lord, I pray that this would be the day that you open their eyes and their hearts to the truth, that they would see their need uh, for Christ as Savior and Lord, and they would respond in faith and receive the redemption that we have all gathered together to celebrate today, the redemption that comes through faith in Christ our Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you, and we pray all this in your name. 
Amen. Step down from heaven, 
A couple of housekeeping things as I get started today. First of all, um, as it relates to 
our celebration of the Lord's Supper in a little bit. Just a reminder, this is our only our second go-round using these uh, very COVID-friendly, all-in-one communion styrofoam tasting packets here. Uh, but just want to remind you, uh, because we're going to transition from uh, straight from the sermon into our celebration of the Lord's Supper, and uh, uh, my prayer is that it will be a time of reflection on, on what we're about to celebrate, so I don't want to have to do this little reminder of how you open these things. So uh, just a reminder, there are two tabs on, each, uh, on, on the top of the uh, cup. The first one is clear. That would be the one that you pull to gain access to the bread, and then the second one, this, uh, the, the uh, tinfoil one, will actually get you access to the juice. And I just point that out because the clear one is not obvious when you first look at it. And so uh, it's really hard to get the bread out if you get the juice first. And Lord willing, someday soon we will be back to our homemade bread and juice and regular cups and things a little bit more normal. But uh, just so you know, when we get to that, uh, if you guys want to pass those down now, that's fine. Um, that'll save a little bit of... Uh, rustling and activity as we move into uh, the Lord's Supper at the conclusion of the um, sermon. Also, um, today we are trying something new with the technology. We've made some upgrades uh, so that we can begin live streaming our services. Um, uh, officially starting with our Christmas Eve service coming up on uh, Thursday night. Uh, but one of the things that we've added is, is hopefully the abil ability when we do have slides during the sermon to be able to control them from the, um, from the pulpit, which I'm going to try to do today. Uh, but just a note about the, uh, the slides that are going to be up there. Uh, my goal is not to do your work for you. And so there's only about four or five slides up there, and I want you to think of those as signposts to kind of follow where we're going with the message, okay? It's going to be, those are the, the main points and themes that I'm going to be highlighting, but there's going to be a lot of other stuff that go in between each one. So in years past when I've done them, as they've been pretty, pretty user-friendly for you guys as far as, you know, we'd have 18 or 20 slides for a sermon. Uh, those days are long gone. So... Uh, those are to help us, but, but I really, the, really the goal is to help you center in and focus on God's Word uh, rather than, um, you know, trying to rem remember what everything I just said about a given point as far as well, how many words was in that or, or, or how did he phrase that. It'll be on the screen for you to help you out. Um, this morning we are taking a, uh, a diversion from... Our study of the book of the Gospel of John, uh, which we've been in the past several months. Uh, when we uh, come back next week, Lord willing, we'll begin chapter 4 on that. But uh, with the uh, Christmas uh, coming upon us, I've decided today to, to jump into the Old Testament. And today we're going to focus on Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I would ask you to turn there in your Bibles. And as I read, uh, those words will be behind us on the screen as well. Uh, but it would be great for you to have that in front of you so that you can follow along. And uh, Caleb, I'm just going to back that one up one just to make sure the remote is working and then you can move it back and be in charge of the reading again. All right, good, we're good. Excellent. Isaiah chapter 9 beginning at verse 1. 
But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land, of, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder." And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for this day. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to, uh, to learn from your holy word, your inerrant word, your perfect word given to build up your people to equip us for faithfulness, to allow us to, to come to know you more fully, to submit ourselves to, to obey in, in order to honor you with our lives. So help us, O oh Lord, I pray, to respond as we ought and to see you in your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I mentioned before, we... We take a break this week from our study of the Gospel of John to look at one of the most well-known prophecies concerning the life and ministry of Jesus. It's really in the Old Testament. Verses 2 and 6 are featured in Handel's Messiah. I can't read verse 6 without that song echoing in my mind. I won't sing it because I love you too much to do that to you. But the book of Isaiah is filled with prophecies concerning Jesus. From the virgin birth in chapter 7 to his suffering and death in chapter, chapter 53. To the future glories of his kingdom, as we'll see in chapter 9. These passages are powerful when studied individually. But when you consider them in the context of the rest of Isaiah's book, then they are even more glorious. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. And anybody who's been here more than twice will tell you that we love context at New Hope. It's how we understand the Word of God. 
Isaiah prophesied in the southern kingdom of Judah from around the years 739 to 786 B.C. He served during the reigns of four kings and the prophecy that, that, that begins here in, in the early chapters of uh, the book of Isaiah came to him. We see the year that King Uzziah died. That was 739 B.C. And King Uzziah is significant because although he led the nation to prosperity and military strength, unfortunately, he also led the people away from the Lord. Judah was in decline spiritually, and the early chapters of Isaiah lay out God's case against his people. These are just a few of the charges he brings against them from Isaiah chapter chapters 1 through 5 he calls them rebellious children lacking understanding they are filled with iniquity they deal corruptly with one another they have forsaken the lord they've despised the lord and in describing the great city of Jerusalem, can I ask that you forgive my language? But he calls the city of Jerusalem a whore. Those are God's words, not mine, for their unfaithfulness to him. And because of their unfaithfulness, God's judgment was coming in the form of the brutal Assyrian army. Brothers and sisters, God is not mocked, and his children needed to be disciplined. So the news that Isaiah was to deliver was not good in terms of the short term. But as God often does, the long term filled with promise and hope. And Isaiah sets forth the promise of a redeemer, not just for Judah, not just for Israel, but for all nations. Brothers and sisters, it is in contrast to the darkness of sin and wickedness that the light of the gospel shines most clearly. And we certainly see that in the book of Isaiah. And we even see it clearly now in this lost world that we live in as well. It is my prayer, brothers and sisters, that, that, that as we prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior this week, that we do so with this contrast in mind. I'm going to come back to that at the end. But, but it is okay. It is actually good for us, brothers and sisters, to have clear understanding and a clear vision of the darkness of the world that our Savior was born into and also the darkness of the world that we live in, because in contrast to that darkness, the light and the grace and the mercy that, that, that Christ offers shines even more brightly. 
like, like a diamond uh, uh, against the, the dark felt backdrop that, that jewelers use to, to look at all the facets, how it stands out in that same way. So too does the diamond of the gospel shine in this dark world. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, we find two promises of something, someone greater. First of all, this morning we're going to see the promise of a restored yet greater kingdom. And then secondly, we're going to consider the promise of a greater and more glorious king. And may God strengthen his church as we consider these promises and the fulfillment of them in Christ. First of all, verses 1 through 5, the promise of a restored yet greater kingdom. Verse 1, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. <laughs> now right off the bat, we have ties to what we have learned so far in the Gospel of John. I, I love it when this happens, when we're working through a book of the Bible, like we're working through the Gospel of John, and then all of a sudden we, we, we take a break for a special day or, or something like that, or, and we see how the Bible just weaves in and out of itself. How the themes that we find in the Old Testament are, are, are made more clearly in the New the, the promises of the old fulfilled in the new. And right off the bat, in, in John chapter 1, or excuse me, in, in verse 1 of, of Isaiah chapter 9, we see a connection to our study in the Gospel of John. And in the cities are the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now these were along the northern border in Galilee. These two areas would have been the first to fall when the Assyrians came into Judah from the north. So, so, so Isaiah is, is beginning to lay out his, God's plan for how he's going to discipline his people. In fact, they would fall within a matter of months from, from the time that Isaiah uttered this prophecy to King Ahaz of God's impending judgment. But we see in verse 1 that the first to fall would also be the first to see the glory of the coming kingdom of God. I want you to, to catch that. Because this matters. Why? Well, you scholars of the Gospel of John, 
Where was Jesus from? Not where was he born, but where, where did he live his early years? Nazareth, right? Nazareth. Where did Jesus perform his first miracle? Cana of Galilee, that's right, the wedding. Two villages smack dab in the area where the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali in ancient times bumped right up against one another. And we see in the Gospel of John the fulfillment of this prophecy, do we not? Where the glory of, of Christ's ministry began to, to, to take shape and, and, and be launched. Isn't that awesome? God's promises always come true. Always. These two regions would witness the beginnings of a kingdom that is still being built. A kingdom that will never end. A kingdom that we see in, in verses 2 through 5 that will be marked by four characteristics. First of all, it will be a, a kingdom that is marked by light. Secondly, a, a kingdom that is marked by coming joy. A, a kingdom that is marked by a coming redemption. And then finally, a kingdom that is marked by coming peace. Let's look first at, at the coming light in verse 2. Inspired by God, Isaiah says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness... On them has light shined. Now again, this is one of those moments where I pray that those of you that have been here the past few months immediately have your minds go where? John chapter 1. That's right, I saw fingers go up, heads nodding. We're on a roll, good stuff. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and, and verses 9 through 13. Let me read those to you because they are Glorious indeed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Isaiah and John are talking about the same light. The light that came into the world, Jesus, was the light prophesied by Isaiah. The invasion by the Assyrians would lead to a difficult time for the people, a dark time. But that darkness was surpassed by the spiritual darkness 
of the sin and spiritual death that they were already experiencing. The Assyrians were coming because the people had forsaken God. Now fast forward to, to Jesus' day. The Assyrians were long gone, but the darkness was still present. Fast forward to our day, and the darkness still persists in the lives of those who do not know Jesus. But for those who do, we have the light, because Jesus is the light. Have you seen the light, brothers and sisters, by faith? Have you responded to what Christ has done to redeem you? If not, then let me tell you, you have nothing to celebrate on Friday. But if you have, you have the joy and the privilege to, to, to celebrate in a way that perhaps you never have before. Because the light has come and has shone in our lives. The new kingdom will not just be marked by a coming light, it will also be marked by the joy that is still to come. Verse 3. Isaiah continues, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And the growth of this nation over which our Lord will be king will expand beyond physical boundaries to encapsulate all who are adopted into his kingdom. Just as God promised Abraham that he would multiply his descendants as the sands of the seashore, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, will be filled with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. All who are in this kingdom will overflow with joy because of the salvation that we have received in Christ. We will overflow with joy at, at the work of God in the lives of others. We will find joy in His being glorified for all the world to see. And this is not just a future joy. It is a joy that must be made manifest in every believer's life. Because honestly, we cannot view this world, our existence here, from, from birth till death simply the way the world does. If we do, we will, we will shortchange ourselves the, the, the glory and the joy of truly knowing and following Christ. I grieve today over the loss of, of a friend. But I don't grieve for her. I, I grieve for her family. But even in that, it's not a hopeless grief because I know the God that brought her safely home is going to sustain and, and carry her husband and her children safely home as well. These are strange times when it comes to a, 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 a disease that, that, that seems to have little effect on some and, and, and incredibly deadly effects on others. And we honestly don't know what to believe with what we see and hear from supposed experts. But we need not fear. 
because he's got us. Christians, he's got us. And, and whatever may happen in this life, We should echo the words of the Apostle Paul with the same joy that he echoed from his prison cell. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Where is our joy, brothers and sisters? Not just at a, at a holiday, not just at students having two weeks off from school or some of you much, much longer here lately. That's great, but there's a greater joy because in the, in the birth of Christ, we begin to see the, the, the visible fulfillment of, of promises that were made in the Garden of Eden after the fall of Adam and Eve. Where is our joy? We should have more joy than anyone, not just at this time of year, but year-round. Not just when things are growing great, but when things fall apart. And it's not this blind optimism, but it is a confidence in the one who carries us. For some of us, simply from a, a human perspective, Christmas is kind of hard. Broken relationships. There are, are those who are no longer with us. There are regrets for decisions and, and things that we've done in our lives. But in Christ, we have the promise of, of new life. Where is our joy? We can be joyful, yet at the same time, grieve for those outside the faith. We, we can be joyful in Christ and still long for those relationships to be restored. These things are not in conflict with one another. But our reality as followers of Christ must be one that is marked by joy in Him. So where is our joy, brothers and sisters? We have the promise of the coming light, the promise of the coming joy, and the promise of the coming redemption. It says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, the Assyrians were coming, but their rule would not be forever. God promised to redeem and deliver his people just as he did when he delivered his people from the Midianites through Gideon. Judges chapter 7. Perhaps you remember the story. Gideon was leading the army to fight the Midianites, and God said, wait a minute, pal. This army that you have is way too big. Way too big. Now, I don't know of any many military commanders who would come to that conclusion. But, but your army's too big, Gideon. So I want you to tell everybody who is afraid, go home. And so, they do so. An army of 32,000 is reduced to 10,000. And Gideon looks around and says, wow, we're a lot smaller now. But okay, let's go do this. God says, no, wait a minute, pal. Still too big. <laughs> so I want you, and this is one of my favorite sections of Scripture. It just boggles my mind how God operates. 
Your army's still too big, so I want you to take them down to the river, and, I, and I'll pick who I want to go into battle. And this is how you're going to test them. Have everybody drink from the river, and everyone who laps up the water with their tongues like a dog should be put into one group, while everyone who kneels, and insinuating that they were cupping water and, and drinking it from their hands, should be put in another group. So 300 out of 10,000 drink like dogs. And these are the people that God chose. So kids, when mom and dad get on you about your manners, <laughs> mom, God might have a plan for me. Remember what he did with those dog drinkers and judges? God sends home 9,700 men. And the point was clear. God did not want anyone to get credit for what he was about to do. He, he didn't want the, the people to go in and take Midian and, and come away patting themselves on the back. Look at how awesome we are. We, we routed Midian. No. God did this. And in the same way, God is saying through Isaiah that the redemption that will mark the coming kingdom is something that will be clearly the work of God, and only God will get the credit. And we know it's true, don't we, brothers and sisters? Only God can get the credit. What do we have to boast in except for what Christ has done for us? Our sin? <laughs> well, that's, that's your part in the gospel. That's my part in the gospel. No, we, we have nothing good to boast in except for what Christ did for us. So this coming redemption is marked by something that only God could do. And that is take away the sins of his people. And finally in verse 5 we see that the new kingdom or the coming kingdom will, will be marked by a coming peace as well. Verse 5, for every beast, uh, excuse me, for every boot uh, of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The, the peace of the, of the coming kingdom is not simply the, the defeat of all our earthly enemies or more specifically God's enemies. As the old hymn by Martin Luther reminds us, lo, their doom is sure. But peace also emphasizes our reconciliation to God. That we too were once God's enemies, but in Christ, peace has been made. The, the coming kingdom will be a kingdom that is marked by peace and prosperity for the people of God. And, and although we deal with conflict while we await the fulfillment of this kingdom, we must not lose sight of the blessing of the peace we now have with God and the peace that He gives us under trial. Brothers and sisters, the, the kingdom that awaits us is a glorious kingdom. We are experiencing aspects of it now in our lives. And it's a glorious kingdom because the king that saves us is a greater and more glorious king than any other. The promise of a greater king, verses 6 and 7. 
For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now in verses seven, 6 and 7 we see several truths about this greater king. First of all, this greater king will come as a child Verse 6, for to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And this isn't the first place in Isaiah that the birth of the Messiah is predicted. Isaiah 7.14, probably one of the, the, the most well-known and oft-quoted verses in Isaiah as it relates to the, the, the birth of Christ. Therefore the Lord himself will give, give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Sounds familiar, right? Of course it does. I just read it from Matthew. Emmanuel means God with us. And the fact that Jesus came as a baby before he is a conquering king is important. He took on flesh in order that he could give his life to save us from the punishment that our sins deserved. He was a son born from the royal line of King David, Israel's greatest king up to that time. And this too was prophesied in the Old Testament. Isaiah's prophecy, uh, along with the other messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, are really a checklist to, to help us see that Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Let me just highlight a few as we prepare to celebrate this Christmas season. Born in Bethlehem? Check. Micah 5.2. Born of a virgin? We just saw Isaiah 7.14. He would be despised and rejected. Isaiah 53.3. He would be sacrificed for his people, pierced and crushed. Isaiah 53.5. Not one of his bones would be broken. Psalm 34.20. And I could go on and on and on. But not one detail of Jesus' life and ministry is wasted as we consider these prophecies from the Old Testament. Not one promise is unkept. And we would do well to remember that, brothers and sisters. This king would be born as a child. This king would also rule the nations. Verses 6 and 7, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. This is a, a figurative reference to the, to the kingly robe that would be worn by the Messiah. We, we learned a little bit about kingly robes when we were studying the Psalms, and, and God was portrayed as a, as, a, as a coming, conquering king, and it talked about his robe being, being the symbol of his, uh, his, his righteousness and his authority. Verse 7, it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it 
and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness for this time forth forevermore. And verse 7 really is an indicator of the extent of the Messiah's reign. That, that most Jews we, that we see in our study of John in Jesus' day, they, they missed. Even Nicodemus missed it. They wanted to be liberated for Rome, but the kingdom of the Messiah will be much, much greater. All people, every nation will bow before him. His rule will be eternal and it will be marked by true justice and righteousness. Words that have been hijacked in our day and age by people who care very little about true justice and true righteousness. Brothers and sisters, we need to worry less uh, about rulers or uh, of earthly kingdoms. And we need to learn to live to glorify the one true king before whom we will all worship eternally. Every believer, that is. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, wow, Sam, that's great. But you have skipped over the best part of this passage in verse 6. And to that I say, you are right. But we have saved the best for last. He is a king who is unlike any other. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And with, as with all titles for God in the Old Testament, each of these tell us about the character and nature of God, in this case, the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah. Wonderful counselor. This title indicates the wisdom with which Jesus will rule his kingdom. The, the Hebrew word that's translated counselor is, is one that is typically used to describe the king's closest advisor. But Jesus is so wise that he has no need of other counsel. He is the wonderful counselor. Wonderful emphasizes the supernatural nature of his wisdom. Every decision, every decree, every act, every word uttered will flow from his divine mind through his divine lips into our ears. And when he speaks, it won't be like sitting through the State of the Union or, or some other political address. No, when Jesus speaks, we will not check out. But we will hang on every single word, marveling at his wisdom and insight. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. This is a reference to the power and strength of God. Being God, he has the might of God. God. In the Old Testament, this phrase is used in reference to, to the invincible nature of God in warfare. He cannot be defeated. He cannot be thwarted or stopped. God always wins. And that is true today, brothers and sisters. This greater king will be a conquering Messiah, not only defeating human foes, but also spiritual ones. My mind cannot help but go to Revelation chapter 20, where we read about the defeat and the judgment of the, of the devil, but also the defeat of death as well. 
And then in chapter 1, our 21, we, we see our king in his full glory on the throne. Every foe defeated. His people secure and in worship. He is the mighty God. Death could not defeat him. But he rose victorious. And in that resurrection, we have the promise of being justified in the sight of God forevermore. He's the everlasting Father. And this is an interesting one, right? We're, we're talking about the Son, but the Son is referred to as the, the Father. But the cool thing about this is that this title is a description of the type of reign that Jesus will have over his people. The, the nature of his reign, if you will. It will be like that of a loving father and how he rules or leads his household. Earthly kings vary in how they relate to their people. But none can love, lead, protect, and reign over his people in the way that Jesus will every command every decree will come from the heart of one who truly loves and has the best interests of his people at heart finally he is the prince of peace as mighty God, Jesus is portrayed as a conquering warrior. As Prince of Peace, we see that his warfare will come to an end. Revelation 21. But there is peace with God, not just then, but now for those who respond in faith to the gospel. Jesus died to remove God's wrath from us, taking us from the position of, of God's enemy to his people, his children. Is he your Prince of Peace, friend? Have you respond in faith, responded in faith to the gospel? Well, what do I mean by that? Well, God's word is true, and his God, God's word is authoritative, and he tells us in his word that each person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the, the punishment or the, the payment that we deserve for our rebellion against God is what? Death. Not just physical death, but, but, but eternal, supernatural death. Spiritual death. Separation from God forever with His wrath poured out upon us. But as we learn from John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only unique son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. The way to, to move from darkness into light, the, the, the way to move from wrath to, to sonship or daughtership is through faith in the one whose birth we celebrate this week. It's through faith in the ones whose death and resurrection we will celebrate sometime this spring. Christ, our King. And it's through His faithfulness, through His sacrifice, that we can have our sins forgiven, God's wrath removed, and be restored to Him forever. And only then is He truly our Prince of Peace. Because if you are outside the faith, you are God's enemy. It doesn't matter how many 
happy thoughts you may have about God in a, in a given week. It may not matter that you think Jesus is a, is a pretty neat guy. If you have not responded in faith to what he has done because of your guilt before God, then you are still an object of his wrath. And the call of Scripture on our lives is to, is to flee to the cross, run to Him, cling to Him, be willing to, to, to let go of, of, of all the, the sin and foolishness that you cling to in this life in order to have the One who gave His life for you. This is whose birth we celebrate this Friday, the one whose kingdom is, is characterized by the light he himself radiates, the one who is the source of our joy, our redemption, our peace, the, the one who is the wonderful counselor, the conquering Messiah, the benevolent, loving ruler, the Prince of Peace. Those little hands that, that, that would reach up from the manger and, and, and cling tightly to, to, to the fingers of, of Mary and Joseph as a newborn would be the, one, the hands that are one day pierced through with nails as he fulfilled the plan of God to save his people. This plan of God that we read about in Isaiah and a, a multitude of other places in the Old Testament The manger forever sits in the shadow of the cross as a reminder that, that the gospel was not some plan B that God came up with because the people didn't see how awesome Jesus really was. The cross was his destiny in order to redeem us. Why? Why, God, why, why go through all of this? Why make all of this happen? Verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God's passion, his jealousy for his glory, for his own name to be known rightly. His purposes and his people, his love. Led him to do all of that. We like the Israelites, have rebelled, but his purposes endure forever. God always keeps his promises, brothers and sisters. May we head into this week as we prepare for our Christmas Eve service, which you are all encouraged to attend, our candlelight service. Brother Dave is going to, to bless us with the word of God. But as you prepare your heart to, 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 to celebrate throughout the entire week, do so recognizing that He is the light of the world. He is the Savior of the world. He is our only hope. Lord, we thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your faithful hand upon us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have as your people to celebrate 
the supper that you instituted as a, as a time of reflection and a reminder of the great price that was paid to redeem us. So as we celebrate your supper, oh Lord, we pray that you would be glorified. Lord, I thank you for each person here, and I pray, Lord, that this would truly be a day of us drawing closer to you in faith, that your name would be glorified in our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Now, our typical practice as we take part in the Lord's Supper, as Gene mentioned earlier, is that we practice what is known as an open communion. It is for all who name the name of Christ as Lord and Savior. And the statement about being in, in, in unity with one another, it's a, it's a statement about unity in the church. Because as we celebrate Christ's death and resurrection through the Lord's Supper, the price that was paid to redeem us, we are testifying that this, this gospel that we claim to believe, it, it, that faith is true of all of us, means that we love each other. It means that we bear with one another. It means when things go wrong, we, we make things right. Unity in the church is a testimony to a, to a lost and dying world of the power of the gospel. The Lord's Supper is also a time of us Looking back, we reflect on the price that was paid. It's a time of looking around presently as we reflect on our lives and the sin that we need to repent of and the joy and the freedom that we have in Christ. And it's a time of looking ahead. Paul tells us to, to, to continue to do this, proclaim his death and re resurrection until he returns. Let us celebrate the supper well. We're going to do it very simply. I'm going to quote our communion passage. And you will take the bread and drink the juice when you are ready. So take time to reflect, pray, give thanks. Then I will close us in prayer. And then we will sing our closing song together. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered unto you that Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and broke it. And when he had given thanks, he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So as you are ready, you can eat the bread and drink the cup.
As long as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim your death until you return. Lord, I pray for each of us that it would truly be the deep longing of our hearts that you would return quickly. Lord, that we would recognize that the greatest joys of this life are but a foretaste of the greater joy of seeing you face to face. And the pain of this life when compared to the greatness of being in your presence will scarcely be a memory as we experience your perfect love. Help us to love you more faithfully and more fully, we pray in Jesus' name. Stand and sing. Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us. Of our bonds of 
Thank you so much for being with us and worshiping with us today. It's a true honor and joy to gather together in Jesus' name to give him the praise and honor that he is due. Let us close our service with the singing of the angels in Luke chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. We are dismissed. <laughs>